Monica is great. And uh, she is right, fourth service coming September 14th, 6 p.m., uh, right here. And if you would like to serve in that service, some of you are thinking like, I like 10 o'clock, this is a comfortable time for me, but I have those friends who don't even believe in God before noon, and maybe I could get them to the 6 p.m. service Well, we would love for you to participate. You can serve in one of these ways. Uh, You can serve once a month. You can serve twice a month. Uh, You can serve just for the fall. It's not like a lifelong commitment that you're you're signing in blood. We just want to help you get plugged in and help you help us welcome more people into our community. So we are excited about that kicking off. My name's Caleb. If we haven't met yet, uh, and I'm the lead pastor here, we're continuing in a series this morning called Epic, Heroes and Villains of the Bible. Before we get into the story for this morning, I, I want to tell you that I was reading uh, a couple of days ago an article about the new technologies that are birthed to benefit our lives of late, and I thought that they were fascinating. Did you know that Kenmore has made a washer-dryer system where when it, something goes wrong, something breaks on it, You can download the Kenmore washer-dryer app. You can take your cell phone and put it next to the machine, and the machine will tell their headquarters what's wrong with it, and they can fix it remotely through your cell phone. Did you know that that exists? I'm looking to invest. (laughs) Whirlpool has made a product called the Personal Valet that puts, puts a... Um, a, a, what's it called, a dry cleaner in an armoire that you can have in your house. So you can take off your suit and your shirt and your blouse and whatever else you dry clean, and you can put it in said armoire, close the door, and come back two hours later, and it's clean. That exists. ICANN has a wireless scanner that you put on your kitchen countertop and when you're running low on milk, let's say you finished off the milk before your wife had any cereal, you're like, dang it, um, I need to do something. You take the carton or the jar or the whatever, and you scan the barcode with this little machine, and it automatically tells your, your distribution center or whatever that you're low on this item, and it's delivered the next morning. Did you know that exists? These things exist to make our lives a little bit more expedient, a little bit easier, uh, a little bit more, you know, simple, I guess, in some ways, because we, as a culture, as a people, we love stuff now. We love it when we want it, when we need it, in this moment. I mean, so much of technology is about that, speeding things up, getting it to us faster, right? That's just what we love, and because we love that... There's this little word that we don't really love called process. Process. Because process suggests later. Process suggests incremental over time. Process suggests that you can't have it right now immediately in this moment. Right? Everything in technology and the way our world is gearing up for us is trying to make it more comfortable, more expedient, more immediate. And there's this idea that some things happen in a process over time. Not necessarily even a one, two, three step formula that you can make it happen right now in the moment. The Bible study that we're going to look at this morning is from the book of Genesis. And it's a story that's not in a quick fix. It's a story that's not a one-two, you know, punch, do this, do that, and then you're good idea. It's a story about a life. 
It's a story about a life that plays out over a period of time. It's a story about God being faithful to a person, to a family, to families, over a period, over different seasons of life. Even when they are not faithful, and even when you and I would look at their lives and say they don't even deserve it. That's the story we're going to look at. You've heard of Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of, you know, that, that song. <clears throat> Father Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a couple of sons. That's where we're going to pick up the story. Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca. It took a while for Rebecca to get pregnant, but she did eventually get pregnant, conceive, and she had twins. There were twins growing in Rebecca at this time. The Bible says in chapter 25 of Genesis, when the time came for her, Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And you're thinking, yeah, I know, there's like, it's messy, you know, it's kind of how that goes. No, 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 like red, red, like red hair. And then look at what comes next. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. My kid, when he was born, looked like an alien. This one you know, that's an interesting birth story. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand, look at this, with his hand grasping at Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which literally means grasping at the heel. So Esau is born like a minute ahead of Jacob. And you can see from the onset, literally from the womb, that Jacob thought he should have been first. Right? I mean, if, if you think that that's a, a, a silly concept, it plays out over the rest of his life. He thought that he should have been first. He's reaching for his brother. He's like, we talked about this. You know, I'm supposed to, what do you think you're doing? He wanted to be first. He was in a hurry. He wanted to be ahead. I know something about that. I can, I can relate to this. For most of my life, I have felt like I should have been further, faster, that I, I should have been ahead. I should have gotten that by now. When I was graduating from high school, I should go to a four-year college. I was playing volleyball, so I should play volleyball. When I graduate from high school, I should have that job lined up. When I, when I graduate from college, I should have that job lined up. When I graduate from college, I should get married because that's what people do. That's the trajectory. That's the path. And so I want it to happen now. And I, in my 20s, I made a lot of rushed decisions because I was trying to play a role and I, try, I just wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And I thought, I have to, I'm on this path, I should already be there. I'm the oldest of three boys and 11 grandkids, I need to do everything first. That's Jacob. Jacob and Esau are technically twins, but Esau comes out just a few seconds or minutes ahead. And that's important to note because in that day, in that time, the oldest son, even if it was by a few seconds or minutes, got a special blessing from their father. And so now Esau gets the blessing because he's the oldest. More of the inheritance is passed on to that first son. And he gets this, he gets this particular blessing. And... And, uh, and so as this story plays out, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, he saw in Jacob, Isaac is getting older. And it's a getting to be about that time. It's, it's the blessing time. It's the, it's the, I'm getting up there in years time. And so Isaac tells Esau, the, one, the firstborn by a few minutes, 
hey, I want you to go out and I want you to hunt like you do and I want you to bring back some wild game and I want you to cook it up for me nice just the way I like it and I'm about to die so this is going to be like my last supper with you and I'm going to bless you and give you kind of your inheritance blessing once I'm eating and satisfied and so go and, and do that. So Esau jumps to it, he runs out, he grabs his bow and arrow and he's going to do his thing. But their mother, Rebecca, hears this And Rebecca kind of favors, not kind of, she flat out favors Jacob. You guys don't have favorites, right, among your kids, but they did. They did. They were like, Dad, I'm all about Esau because he's red and hairy, you know, and he hunts. Mom, I'm all about Jacob. And so she hears this little thing that's happening between Dad and Esau, and she says, Jacob, come here. Your father is about to give the formal, the official, the real deal blessing to Esau. But here's the thing. He's waiting for him to go and bring back food. So you, he's hunting. You just go out and kill the goat in the back. Uh, We got lots of goats. No one will miss them. You just go kill that one. And then you bring it here. I'll cook it for you so we'll make sure it's really good. And then we'll give that to dad and he'll bless you. And Jacob's like, "Mm, okay, let me get this straight. So uh, you want me to kill that thing, and then I'm going to impersonate my brother, the red hairy one, right? I mean, he's bigger than me. His voice is deeper. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. The goat that you kill, we're going to cut the skin off of it. We're going to put the skin on your body. So when he feels it, he's going to think it's Esau. That's a hairy dude. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> the goat skin. And so, and so he's like, okay. Now, bear in mind, uh, Jacob is not like 12. He's 40, and he's going along with mom on this one. Okay, mom, yeah, I mean, that sounds good. Let's, uh, let's see how this plays out. And so he goes and he gets the, she cooks it. She puts on the skin of the goat and goes to dad. And in his best Esau voice, he says, I'm your son, <clears throat> I'm your son, your firstborn son, Esau. I have done as you told me. Please sit up, eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing." The dysfunction in this family, right? Don't you appreciate that the Bible just keeps it real? Yes, God blessed Abraham. Yes, God blessed Isaac and Jacob, and they're dysfunctional. The mom is manipulative. The, the, the dad is clueless. Yeah, you feel like Esau, you know? I, I mean, and he gives Jacob the blessing. He goes through with it. He blesses him. This, this happens. Isaac is tricked. Esau is hosed, mom is an accomplice, and Jacob gets out of Dodge. He's like, I'm going to go somewhere else and find me a wife. Uh, This is kind of a tumultuous situation now that I have instigated, and so here I go. He's out of there. We pick it up in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream. We'll stop there. The Bible says he stopped in a certain place. So you have to try to make your mind go there. He's leaving home and what he knows because he's deceived his brother. This is, this is the, he knows about the, the blessing and about Father Abraham, his grandfather, and about Isaac, and God showed up to them and spoke to them. And they're supposed to be blessed. And he's heard those stories. He knows about that stuff. And then he knows that he's just swindled his own brother out of this birthright blessing thing. And now he's on the run. And he's in this place that says a certain place, which literally means a place of 
no particular interest. A place of no particular consequence. An insignificant place. It's a place between here and there. It's Victorville, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's here and it's, you, it's in and out Burger on your way to Vegas. I mean, it's just, it's just the place between and a place of insignificance, right? It's a place where, where he didn't want to be. He didn't know where he was. He knew he wasn't home anymore. And he knew where he, he, knew where he, was, he wasn't where he wanted to go. And he was just in this in-between place. Some of you know that in-between place. Some of you know what it is to be in the in-between. You're not where you were. Maybe that's good or maybe that's sad. You're not where you want to be. You're not where you think you should be. You're not where you expected to be by now, and you're, and you're here. You're in, you're in this, you're in the in-between. You're not sure how that's going to play out. You're not sure how that's going to go or how you're going to get there, but you know that you're, you're not there yet, and, and you feel like maybe this place is not really that significant. And is God even here? What, 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 what do I do in this in-between? I should be there by now. I should have that by now. That should be fixed by now. In that in-between space, God shows up to Jacob, and he has a dream. Verse 12, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Stairway. It's also been referred to at times as a ladder. The point is it's a passageway from earth to heaven. It's the original stairway to heaven, Zeppelin fans. I mean, it's, that's, where do you think these creatives come up with their stuff? They come up with it from places like this. It's that stairway to heaven. Have you ever wondered, like, what's, what's just on the other side of what we see? This is, God is giving Jacob a glimpse that just on the other side of the physical and what we see, there is a passageway, and angels are coming and going to hear. Now, a lot of us think that if there's a stairway, if there's a, if there's a ladder to God, that we, we just got to climb some rungs. And the more good things we do, and the better we behave, and the more money we give, and the more times we show up, and the less we cuss, and the whatever, that we get higher and higher on this ladder, on these rungs, that we get closer. But that's not the picture that God paints. He paints a picture of him and his angels coming here, just on the other side of what we See, verse 13, there above it, above the stairway, stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give to you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, like the sand at the beach. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, all peoples, of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. In this dream, God speaks to him. And he says, all the things that I promised your grandpa and your dad, I'm also promising to you. And you've got to imagine the irony of Jacob waking up in the middle of nowhere and trying to cling to and believe this promise. He's in the in-between. He's not anywhere near where this promise would play out, and he's not back there where his family was and where that blessing he associated with was. 
He's in this space between. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is even in this place, this place of nothingness, this place of no particular significance, this place that isn't where my family is, it isn't where I grew up, it isn't the thing I know, and it's not where I feel like I should be, but God is here too. In that day and for lots and lots of generations, people had believed that their God was wherever their army was, wherever their palace was, wherever their village was, wherever their people were, whatever their temple and their idols were, that's where their God was. And Jacob is waking up to this new reality. Wait a minute. This God that's making this family promises, that's making me promises, he is everywhere, even here And God promises him, I will be with you, not because of your good behavior, not because you've really gotten it right, not because you've earned it, not because you've been perfect, but because I am God, I will be with you. Friends, God is present in the process. God is present in and through your process. Some of you are frustrated today or you have been recently because God just seems distant. He seems silent. He seems far away. He feels disconnected from your reality or disinterested in your life. And I think his message to you this morning would be, he is not absent. In fact, he's not even distant. He's not disinterested. He is here. In the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your process, God is here. There's a family that I know that went through a tragedy involving cancer with one of their children. And he was young, and he got cancer, and this family was wrecked. And they thought, why? Why would you allow this? How, how could you do this? And God felt distant. They had gone to church in the past, and then they stopped, and they said, God, you, where are you? We trusted you. We thought you were in this thing. Where, where are you in the middle of this painful journey? And there were days and there were weeks where they just felt like God didn't care, and he wasn't near. And then there were some other days. Some days where someone called out of the blue and just encouraged them. There were some days where people showed up and just brought food and left it on their porch. There were some days where a check came in the mail and paid for three months of their medical bills, unsolicited. And then there was a day when they got a good report that the boy was cancer-free. And they thought, God, we see, we see you have been present all along. Later, they got another report that the cancer had come back. And the story ended painfully. But they still stand and say, but God was here. God was with us the whole way. And the end of this story, the end of this process, is not even what we see here. There is something else on the other side of this physical reality where lots of the promises come to completion. Friends, when God feels distant... God is not absent. Even when God feels distant, he is not absent. Now, I want to just be honest for a minute about uh, a, little, a little bit of hypocrisy in our own life, in my own life, in our own lives in this moment. 
Because when we are going through painful things, we tend to say, where are you, God? Why do you allow this, God? Well, how come I don't feel you, God? Will you speak to me, God? And yet, there are seasons in my life, probably in your life too, where you wanted anything but God's presence. There were weekends. There were spring breaks. There have been business trips. There have been business decisions where you have made very intentional plans to try to be far from God's presence. I'll be in her presence, but I don't want to be in your presence. If you could just excuse me for a little bit. I've got stuff in the back of my car that I don't really think that you're interested in, and so if you could just kind of remove yourself from my story temporarily until I need you. If, if, if you would just kind of let me, I'm, I'm good most of the time, if you would just let me have this week to just do what I want to do. I kind of don't want to feel like you're uh, there over my shoulder whispering in my inside. If you could just give me some space, if I could just keep you at arm's length for some of the time, that would be more convenient for me and the things that I want to do. And that's what many of us have done in our life. We keep God at arm's length. And that's what Jacob does. Jacob, he's not even aware that God is everywhere until that moment. But there's good news there's good news for, for us this morning, too, and that the, that's that God blesses imperfect people. We see that in Jacob's story. Chapters 29 through 30, they go on to tell the story of Jacob. He finds his destination where he has some extended family. He, he, he wants to, he meets his wife. This is the girl that I want to marry. He works, talk about process, he works seven years for her dad to earn her hand in marriage. And then on the wedding night, the dad bamboozles him and gives him the older, less attractive daughter. And then he has to work seven more years to marry both of them. We're not going to go into double wife scenarios. We're just saying that was a process. That was a painful thing. The, 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 the deceiver being deceived. 14 years to work for his father-in-law, for these two women. And then he stays there, and he keeps working for him. And he makes, he causes this guy's land. God blesses him, and his land is fruitful and productive. And, and the, the livestock, they multiply. All of a sudden, Jacob starts to have a lot of stuff. Over time, Jacob starts to have as much or more stuff than the guy he's working for, than, than his father-in-law. And, and it starts to concern some people. God's hand of blessing is on this guy because of his perfect performance? Clearly not. But God is blessing him nonetheless. And so father-in-law starts to think, well, this is, and his, his relatives and the people in his camp are like, this guy, this is not what we, what we want. This guy, he's tipping the scales. He's becoming wealthier than you, Dad. He, he has more stuff amassed. He, his, his, and his goats look better than your goats. This is not, not acceptable, you know? He's been kind of mooching off of your stuff, and now he's leveraged it. For, and they start to turn on him. And Jacob, with all this blessing, with all this abundance, his wives, now he's got bunches of kids and crops and animals, and he's got this huge village of a family. They, he says, okay, I, I think i got to get out of here again. I think we're going to go back. I think we're going to go back home. And so he sneaks out kind of in, in the night. And it's important to remember at, in this moment because we, we look at Scripture and we hear a story like this. Maybe, you, maybe you've never heard this story before or maybe you've heard it a hundred times. But we tend to think of it and we, oh, I know Jacob's story. 
I know how that goes. And he did the thing in 14 years and goes back. And Esau, and yeah, I, I, I get it. But do you pause and recognize that he's 90 years old when he's heading back home? He's not a spring chicken. It's been a process. It's not just... It's not just snapping his fingers and now he has all of this abundance and stuff. He's old and he's heading back. Friends, Jacob learned in the process to be patient. And God invites you to be patient in your process. We are to be patient in our process. God is present. Will you be patient? I did a funeral on Friday for Edna. Edna was 92, and she usually sat right there in like the third row, and she would dance. She danced in, she danced to the music, she smiled at me, and she danced her way out. So full of life. She tried to make out with me on the patio like every week, and I was, I just let her. I mean, what do you do? It's it's Edna. I had the privilege of, of doing her, cere- her ceremony, the, the funeral over there, and she, a number of you were at the ceremony and got up and shared, and to see the impact that she had had on people's lives. At 92 years old, I had only known her for a couple of years, and she had an impact on me. So full of life, so full of energy. She still drove. I know, you're like... And she still rode her Schwinn bike at 90 around Landmark. And she still encouraged and blessed people and made other people's lives great. And I got to stand there. I hadn't heard of this before. I I didn't know her story. But I listened to her family tell her story of difficulty, of pain. That she wasn't always the person that we saw and knew. But through the process of her life, of her 92 years, she became someone that blessed many of us. Friends, you are a work in progress. The people that you know and care about and hold to high standards, they are a work in progress. Be patient. Be patient. God shows up on this journey of Jacob going back home. God shows up to him again. It's been however many years, 40, 50, 55, somewhere in there, Years since the one time that God showed up to him in the dream and God's going to show up to him again because he is nervous. He's about, he's, even though he's 90 and it's like water under the bridge, 50 years have gone by, he's still about to see his brother Esau again. And he knows how he swindled him, scammed him out of his blessing. And he, he doesn't know how this is going to go and if, if he's going to be well received or what's going to happen. So he's nervous and he cries out to God, maybe for the first time in a long time. And he says, God, If you would just give me favor with Esau, if you would just keep him from being mad and wanting to kill me and my family, that would be great. Because this could go really, really badly. And the Bible talks about, it's it's kind of a strange idea and a strange passage, but the Bible says that in that prayer, Jacob actually has some kind of a physical encounter and wrestles with an angelic being that he believed to be God, or at least representative of God. And so he spends the night wrestling with this being, angelic God thing, person. And he wrestles him. And the Bible says in verse 26, But Jacob replied to, this, to God, 
I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked, what's your name? Jacob, he, sa- he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Notice that in this moment, 90-something years old, Jacob is wrestling for a blessing. He's stolen a blessing from dad already. He's got that blessing. He's got abundance in terms of prosperity and wealth. He's got that blessing, but he wants a different kind of blessing. He's wrestling with God for the real blessing, and God gives it to him. He says, you will no longer be who you were, but you will be who I have designed you to be. You will not be Jacob anymore, the hustler, the guy who's reaching out for your brother's heel and always trying to one-up him and others. You will be Israel, the person through which all these promises that I have promised your grandfather and your dad and now to you will play out through you. Now that you have gone through this process, now that you have gone through this transformation, now that you have seen who I am, now that I have showed you my blessing, now that I have showed you myself, now that I have showed you that I am with you. You will no longer be who you were. You will be Israel. Friends, there is great power in the process. Power to transform. That the the process that God has you on, the journey he has you on, is not about wealth. It's not even about another person. It's about his power to transform and make you the person that he designed you to be. You're not perfect, but you're in process. He wants you to be the person that he has made you to be from the moment that he created you, the person that he envisioned you to be, the person that he said that you will be, the dreams that he's put on your heart. And the interesting thing for you and for me is sometimes those dreams aren't even realized in this life. For Jacob, all those promises, they happened after he died. We're still seeing them play out. Sometimes they happen just on the other side of this physical reality. But the process is about God transforming you and giving you a new identity. How would it look different today if you believed that? And if you remembered that God was here in in your in-between, in your place of nothingness, in your place of loneliness, in your place where you feel like you haven't arrived yet and you're not where you should be? What if you believed that God was with you? There's another little aspect of this story. As Jacob is wrestling with God, God touches his hip. And I don't know kind of what he does, dislocates the hip or whatever happens there. He's, you know, Jacob's pretty old already. He's on his second knee replacement, I'm sure. And, and, but he touches the hip. And from that point forward, Jacob walks with a limp. God literally gives him a walk to remember. You see what I, uh, he, he limps the rest of his life, I think, to remind him that he cannot do this on his own strength. That the process is not about his wealth. It's not about what he can do for himself. It's about God transforming him. It's about God's story. It's about God's strength. It's about what God is doing, what he has promised, what he is about right now, and what he will do. 
Because we have a tendency to forget. God gives us things to help us remember. Jacob also built a, an altar with some rocks to help him remember. What we do to help us remember is a thing called communion. I'm going to invite the, the folks who are helping with communion this morning to come, and you guys can go ahead and get started. Communion represents our remembering what Jesus said and what he asked us to do. He said in the Last Supper with his disciples before he went to the cross, he said, I want you to take this bread and I want you to break it. And I want you to remember that this is my body that I'm literally offering as a broken sacrifice for you. So when you take the bread, you're just remembering that Jesus sacrificed himself for you. And he said, when you take this wine or this juice, what you're remembering is that I I allowed my blood to be poured out for you. And wherever you are on that process, you're not who you are, you're not not there yet and whatever. Jesus says, I want you to remember that my sacrifice is for you. So if you're someone who follows Jesus, who says, yeah, that's that's the sacrifice that I want, even if you make that decision today for the very first time, this, this is for you. God, we ask that as we Remind ourselves that you would show yourselves, yourself to us. Give us the sense that you are here. Continue to speak in Jesus' name.